Hello, hello, and welcome to another podcast episode of Overpowering Emotions. Today's episode is part three of School Refusal, uh, which I've mentioned before, I don't like the name of School Refusal. I think that that's just something that we all kind of know and heard, and that's why I'm using it. But it's not that kids are simply refusing to go because they just don't want to go. I'm talking about those kiddos with significant anxiety, and it's the avoidance that stems from anxiety. That's school-induced anxiety that's resulting in school avoidance. It's, I mean, it's always been a problem but we've just seen a major increase in it since COVID it's gotten really worse and we know that the longer students allowed to stay at home and they miss school those symptoms the anxiety gets worse and it becomes more ingrained and it's just so much harder to get them back into school over time and we know that the chances of returning to school it's inversely proportionate to the length of, of time that they're away from school so that means the longer they're away from school the success that we have in getting them back to school deteriorates quite significantly. That anxiety just becomes so debilitating. And for some, it's so crippling that the chance of a typical gradual return is just not feasible for some kiddos, right? So that's why we need early intervention as fast as possible. There might be additional steps that need to be taken before going back to school. You know, so maybe there's some learning centers first. I see that certainly, especially with my older teens, that that's the reality. It's maybe a learning center, but they just might not get back into school if it's left too long and so ingrained. So I think that that's really important to start thinking about. If you've got this kiddo, the longer that they've been away, the harder it is. Everybody's stressed. Are there alternative routes to complete high school? Um, I get a lot of questions around homeschooling, and I did get a few of that um, just around that. Homeschooling really should be an option if not for anxiety. I'm just going to say that. If it's anxiety, that shouldn't be the option. It's completely counterproductive and it's only going to strengthen that anxiety and grain that anxiety over time. So if you're only homeschooling just for anxiety, it's going to be harder, especially if they want to transition to high school. So if you're homeschooling for other reasons, that's a different conversation. Homeschooling can be fantastic, but it should be the very last, last resort and only when there's a really strong plan to eventually get those kiddos back into school right? And ideally hiring a private tutor, um, attending a learning center, that's far better than just strictly homeschooling. So I wouldn't even consider the homeschooling option because I just worry about the long-term effects and, and their functioning as adults. So just something to think about. Hopefully you've listened to my previous two episodes on school refusal. I'm focusing specifically on those who are avoiding, right? Because of all of the emotional distress anxiety sometimes there is a mix of why kids don't want to go to school so they have the emotional distress the school refusal piece you know but but it's really the ones that I'm talking about who have that severe emotional distress it's not just because they don't want to go home right it, it or they don't want to go to school they just want to stay home right it's really that anxiety so that's what I'm focusing on so they're seeing you know the anxiety they're trying to avoid school because they're trying to escape that emotional distress Whatever means possible, if they're going to have an emotional meltdown, if they're running away, if they're self-harming or threatening self-harming, whatever they can do to avoid school because of they want to avoid that emotional distress, right? So if they're just truanting, they would just rather go do something else and hang and play video games or anything like that, you know, deliberately missing school. 
that's probably going to be a different plan and different conversations. I'm just focusing on those anxious kids. And I'm getting more into the treatment. I started it um, before. You know, we have to have a multimodal approach and, you know, range of services that includes a lot of different people. It's not just you if you're a mental health therapist or just you if you're a parent. We can't focus on one person doing one thing. We need to have everybody involved. In my previous episodes, I've talked about important considerations for school refusal, school avoidance. So identifying kiddos' needs, setting up the right environment, that connection, that belonging is so important. So while creating the right environment is important for sure, with any area I talk about when it comes to anxiety, we need to focus on the skills to teach. What skills does this child need? Any accommodation? I mean, we want to avoid accommodating, right? Accommodating. Um we know just never helps kids build skills. Now, if we need to put accommodations in there, we're focusing on what are the skills that are being taught here. They need to build skills to manage that anxiety because it's only gonna get worse otherwise. So yes, if we need to accommodate kiddos to get them back into school as fast as possible, as with anything, they need to learn to tolerate uncertainty and, and whatever discomfort that comes with that. And so when we look at some of the skills, um, these are things that I go into. I do have a school refusal workshop coming up, so definitely check that out. But we got to think about, do they have self-awareness, emotional awareness? What are their emotion regulation skills like? Do they know how to resolve conflicts? What's their overall just language ability to be able to express themselves effectively? What's their cognitive flexibility, their resilience, problem solving, decision making? Could they benefit from learning pro-social emotions like compassion, self-compassion? Are they assertive in getting their needs, their needs met? Can they ask for help if they need to? Do they know how to accept when anxiety shows up and everything that comes with it? Do they know how to accept it, sit with it, detach from it, enhance their thinking? I address all of these skills in my school refusal workshop and anxiety compass in depth. So definitely check those out. But those are things that you got to start thinking about. Do they have these skills? Right. And so let's dive into a little bit about what treatment looks like. Um, if you want to know more about those skills and we're going to break them all down and go into it, definitely check the show notes so you can look at that uh, workshop and I'll go into very specific plans that you can individualize as well. And I pull a lot from my anxiety compass. So there is the education piece, you know, on a broad view, what do we do with the child? Now we've, this is assuming we've set up the environment. So now what is it that we're doing with this child? Because that is a piece. It's the last piece. We can't do anything with the kiddo until the environment is set up and and, and all of those other pieces that I've talked about. So do check my last two episodes where I'm talking about those important considerations. But when we get into the child focus piece, once that's all set up, sometimes that's all we need to do. But there is a psychoeducation, right? Understanding how anxiety shows up, understanding the progression of anxiety for this particular student, that's really important. It's very predictable. We think it's unpredictable, but it's usually quite predictable. It usually follows the same pattern. Sunday night, Kiddo starts to get a stomach ache. Start saying, I don't know if I can do school. Monday morning, feeling nauseous and feeling sweating, right? It gets worse as I get to the bus. Then I start to feel dizzy, you know, as I, and I'm approaching school. And I feel like I'm going to pass out and everyone's going to laugh at me or they're going to see my big sweat stains, right? So there's this sort of progression that kids start to see. So we want to get on offense because once we understand that progression and what it looks like, kids can learn the relevant strategies that they need along the way and being that awareness of, aha, I knew you were going to show up tonight, Sunday night. I knew that this is what you're going to do. So we're making sure that we're externalizing that anxiety, right? So we've got that awareness. Now we're externalizing that anxiety 
to help us develop some self-awareness around it. So again, I go through it in, my, in detail in my training, but really the different aspects of emotion are the things that we need to focus on when we're raising that self-awareness and that externalization. So the somatic experience, absolutely. Pain in the stomach, tightness in my chest, trouble breathing, feeling flushed, sweating. Actually, just this morning, my daughter, she was fine and happy, and she coincidentally found out she her friend wasn't walking to school with her, so she was going to be going to school for the first time since she started grade 11 by herself, and all of a sudden, she started having stomach aches. I'm like, oh, kiddo, go have some ginger tea. So I'm supportive, I'm validating, but you know, let's get this under wraps so you can go to school. Um, someone along the way called grandma. So now grandma has taken her to the doctor. <laughs> um, but I unfortunately had meetings this morning and missed that. So we can see, right, these physical aspects. I will feel very bad if it is something like an appendicitis. I'll keep you posted, um, but yeah th th that's kind of you know it just seemed quite coincidental that all of these physical aspects it seemed quite predictable because i i know that she's had some school avoidance and social anxiety in the past and that's sort of how it shows up for her and it makes kiddos think that something's really wrong right and then adults in this case grandma gets sucked in with that anxiety as, as well so to be successful we need to make sure we're doing that pre precursor work, right? Talking about the trickster brain and the henchman, everything that I've talked about in all of my episodes, what that emotional brain does, how it likes to trick our rational brain, which its job is to try to control that emotional brain and calm it down, say, no, it's a big, not a big deal. I've got it under control, right? But those henchmen, that Loki brain, that emotional brain tries to take over. So kids are staying home, right? And so part of our response to anxiety is to play detective. That's what we're getting to. Rather than getting caught up and spinning with the stories and spinning with the physical feelings, it's playing detective. We're going to remain objective rather than getting caught up in that subjective storyline. So, hmm, what's happening in my body? Oh, wow. That's a really interesting. Oh, it's like right above my appendicitis. <laughs> being able to determine, you know, because we see a lot of adults who think they're having a heart attack. So being able to differentiate, if that's always the same pain all the time on your side, you know, maybe it's not appendicitis. Obviously, we want to get it checked if it is new or changed. You know, I don't want to rule all that stuff out, but it's, it's being able to be objective. Hmm, which henchman is this? Is it Lonely Luke that I'm not going to have any friends going to school today? Is it going to be... Failure Fred, where I'm going to fail my test or whatever it is, right? What is it that they're up to today? What are they trying to make me feel sick for? How are they trying to make me feel sick? Are they trying to make me pass out or sweat? What's that story that they're trying to spin today? Is it that people are going to laugh at me, right? So just plain detective. Who's taking over, trying to take over and spin the Wi-Fi offline for my rational brain? right? So when we're curious, it's sort of the antidote here, right? When we're curious, we can remain objective. Hmm, what's going on? That's keeping our prefrontal cortex online. Now, another aspect of being aware, like I said, so that physical piece for sure, what's happening in my body, but those conspiracy stories that anxiety likes to spin. This can get really tricky for a lot of kiddos because a lot of the school refusal, it might start off actually as separation anxiety, right? And something bad happening from their parents while they're away from them. And as time goes by, it sort of turns into dread about now I've missed so much school. 
right? And are my friends going to remember me? Have they forgot me? They won't want me to be here. So it can start out as one thing and quickly manifest into something else. So so looking at some of those things are going to be really important. And of course, we want to look at the behavioral manifestation. So there's a physical piece, the stories that come along with it, and then how it comes out behaviorally. Avoidance, obviously, right? That's going to come out, but maybe it's just fighting with parents, pretending to go to school but then hiding out or going to the bathroom or going to the nurse's office or, or the, the office lot. I've seen a lot of kids do that. I've seen a lot of kids going to the bathroom saying life has no purpose and they're threatening self-harm. They're texting home. You got to come get me. Otherwise, I don't know what I'm going to do. So we got to break this vicious cycle of whatever it is, this habit loop that the kids and their families are getting caught up in and teachers as well. Anxiety kicks in, kids feel gross physiologically or in pain physiologically, they engage in that avoidance behavior and ultimately they miss school. That's the negative loop, right? And when they don't have that school, guess what? Their anxiety decreases. So we've just reinforced that avoidance because they're trying to avoid it's negative reinforcement. They're trying to avoid that emotional distress in the first place. And so that anxiety is reinforced, meaning it's going to get stronger, meaning they're going to avoid again tomorrow. And that's how we get into this loop. So to break this loop and be successful, we have to engage in exposure-based interventions because the most important part of any anxiety treatment, we know that it's cured when kids can tolerate anxiety. It's not about the trigger, not being scared of dogs anymore, going to school. It's about them being able to tolerate the anxiety and not worrying about feeling anxious or everything that comes with that anxiety. So that's why exposure is the only way for kids to learn, I can go to school. I can handle whatever happens, even if I throw up, even if people laugh at me, even if I fail my test, I can still handle it. The world's not going to swallow me up whole. I'm still going to live another day and I'm going to grow and learn from it. So We have to make sure we've got buy-in. If we're going to do any exposure, we have to have their buy-in, right? Because for a lot of these students, the anxiety of missing class, the anxiety of losing friends, that's motivating enough, right? So, so, or, you know, just avoiding the distress for a lot of them, we, if they don't care, they don't care if they take you to Disneyland, right? That's just so much. So we want to make sure that, that they're bought in. And so maybe, they don't want to miss school, right? They don't want to lose friends, so that can be enough. But there's some kids that's not enough, right? And so that's where the external rewards are necessary. Maybe it's access to technology after school. Maybe it's they're allowed to skip one class that they really hate. Not my favorite, but maybe we kind of start there. So we got to balance out, you know, a lot of times that avoiding distress is not worth anything else. And so we're always going to be fighting, even if we have the best plan in place. So we want to make sure it's manageable, which I'll get to the re-entry plans in a moment, but just making sure we've got some of that reinforcement, getting that buy-in. Why is this important to you? We can't say it's important so that you learn the content, so that you get the grades for you to be successful, because that's usually where parents go, right? They need to have their buy-in. Maybe it's because I want to be able to see my friends. I don't care what their buy-in is so long as they're willing to try it. So when we get to that exposure piece, we need to have their buy-in, but we have to also have a functional understanding of what's going on for the student throughout the whole school day, right? And while one thing that might have contributed to school phobia in the first place or separation anxiety, over time, being away from school, like I said, it increases their anxiety because they've missed so much school. 
They're not being cared about. They're not being remembered. Or even just the embarrassment about coming back and what other people are going to think if they come back. So understanding all of those fears that, that are interfering with the return to school, they do need to be addressed. Usually at the same time as, the fo- as we're focusing on the exposure plan, you know, returning to school. So we need to address those. And I know I don't want to get caught up in the content, but if we're not addressing the right things... And, and, and addressing the right learning, because that's what needs to happen. They need to learn that I can handle it, whatever it is. And so we need to make sure we're addressing those things, the barriers that could be getting in the way. Now, I'm, I'm going to say for those kiddos who've been away from school for a really, really, really long time, then perhaps we do have to work on other things first to get them back into school. And so that's something to think about. While our goal is usually to get kiddos back into school first, if there's something else going on, sometimes we need to address that. Now, if you've listened to me before... And, and, and those other things, and I get into all of those and how we address them, but if there's an underlying learning disability, for example, or underlying bullying, for example, there are, uh, might be other steps that we need to take before we're focusing on this. Now, I was just going to get into the fear hierarchies. You know that I don't love fear hierarchies where we're purposely starting really easy and gradually working our way up because that can really prolong treatment. And our goal is to get kiddos back into school as fast as possible. Um, But for a lot of these kiddos, we do have a gradual return to school. But the thing is, we don't want to present it as the adult, as the parent, as the professional, as the teacher right? Because otherwise we're going to reinforce the story that none of us think that you can handle a full day of classes. And so therefore we better start small, right? If they choose, they want to start small and work, you know, that gradual plan, fantastic. But we got to make sure we're including the student in creating the plan. It's not good just for the adults too. So we're going to ask them, what makes it tricky to get to school and to stay at school? What makes it easy? What do you look forward to? Right? We want to focus on the obstacles and what they look forward to, um, both. Right, It's not just what's getting in the way. What do they enjoy? What do they already feel confident with? So that we can capitalize on those things to make them more eager to go. Right, I'm always talking, even with separation anxiety, I talked about what do they have to look forward to. So important. right? And so when we look at the plan itself, most of the time, like I said, most students will want a gradual return. Whatever we do, we want to make sure that they feel the plan is achievable. We know that the kiddo can get back into school. We would support them full days. But they need to feel that it's achievable. But I got to say, it can't feel easy. Because if it's it's just easy, we're not working on anxiety at all. We're just accommodating, right? And I had a kiddo who was having trouble going to school. But as soon as he knew that he could just go to the resource room and play on his phone all day, he's like, fantastic. This is fantastic. My parents aren't letting me play on my electronics at home, but I get full access at school. There was no anxiety. It was a teacher that he was comfortable with and a room that he was comfortable with. And he got access to his his devices. So yes, on the one hand, there's success because he's back at school, but we're not addressing anxiety. There's no skills being taught. There's no forward progression. So we need to make sure that with each step, they're stretching out of their comfort zone. They are working on some of that anxiety because the goal here is to get them to tolerate that anxiety, to tolerate that distress, to realize I can manage it, right? It's tolerable and I can manage it. So we got to have them stretch, but they need to feel that I can do it or I'm at least going to try. It's worth my while trying, right? Sometimes you'll get students who are just so gung-ho. They're like, you know what? Full days. I'm just going to jump right in. I'm going to show everyone I can do it, 
right? But most do want to test the waters. Ideally, that's fantastic. Yes, let's go. Let's make sure you're successful for the whole day, whatever that looks like. But most just want to go baby step by baby step, and that's okay. Totally fine. We just want to make sure that we're showing confidence that they think that they can handle it. It's their plan. We're going to acknowledge their expertise on themselves, and we're going to acknowledge that for them, if they feel like that's the best plan, fantastic. You know, so that systematic desensitization route, baby steps, it's totally fine. It's supported in the research too, as long as we set it up right. And that's the point that I want to stress. And I have my five common mistakes that, that therapists make and fear hierarchies is always on there. It's usually because we're not setting it up right. So we got to remember any adults that are involved, teachers, caregivers, secretaries, other parent volunteers, administration, it doesn't matter. Whoever's involved, they need to make sure that the, the kiddo can go to school and that they're expressing that confidence that the kiddo can be at school full time and can be successful. And right now, they're just like all the other students, right? They, but, but we're honoring their expertise to come back baby steps, right? So we're just not sending the message. There's no way you can handle the classroom right now. That's too big of a goal. You can't do it. We just don't want to send that, right? So that's the most important thing that I would want to talk about just in terms of that fear hierarchy and when we're creating that reentry plan, right? Yes, our goal is to get them back in quick. Yes, we want them full if they're willing to go full days, but we want to acknowledge their expertise. So that's totally fine. Any prolonging things just makes it harder. So even if the kiddo wants to take baby steps, there's got to be a progression. That was my only other point about that, right? That's key. It's not about doing something easy, going to where they're comfortable and never moving from there, right? So I've got so many kids who do that with no forward movement and that's that rocking chair analogy. We're doing a lot of motion, we're doing a lot of actions, but we're not actually going anywhere. We gotta see that continual movement. So when we make the plan, it's essential that, that the student and all adults are involved and having a professional help with setting up that re-entry school plan is gonna be really important. That's Their job is really the exposure part of the plan, right? Also teaching the, the student and the parents that's going to be important as well. Just raising our awareness of anxiety. What does the progression look like? Parents will likely need to have their own sessions to help them cope too, right? Having a session with teachers is also important to make sure they're on the same page. They're feeling comfortable. They understand the strategies, the language that's going to be used, addressing their own emotion regulation, coping, um, where there might be barriers in the classroom. So there's going to be a huge consultation with the school, with the teacher, but also the, the parent coaching and the child coaching. And, and I go through very specific plans and what that looks like and how we scaffold re-entry plans in my workshop. So do check that out. But really, again, we're, we're going to have everybody involved. Start by creating a big brainstorm list, all the different variations of re-entry, right? And, and, and together, you're going to come up with that plan. I put a time limit on the plan. So for this week, we're going to try this plan and we're going to evaluate it on Friday. That way we know that it's just time limited. We're going to keep trying the plan till Friday because I see so many people, oh, it didn't work. Like first day, it didn't work. And then we change or we just go back to old habits. We don't want that. We're going to stick with it. We're going to bite our tongue. <laughs> we're going to stick with it until Friday. We know Friday we're going to check in. So we don't have to feel disheartened if things are going sideways the first day or two, right? Because we know that there's an opportunity to check in and tweak it. So the focus, again, is getting kiddo back into school immediately. I can't stress that enough. But how that looks is going to look so different from one kiddo to the next, right? So some might benefit from a warm-up, like going to school after hours maybe to hang in the gym or to hang in the library, 
right? And then they can choose a day of the week to go up three days of, 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 of school a week, you know? Um, maybe for the first day, they go to one class of their choosing. They get to choose whatever, just the beginning or just recess. And then they decide if they want to stay cool. But if they want to leave, that's fine too. Then the next day, they get to go to their favorite class. Um, I'll just say that too, you know, if they want to stay cool. But I, I, I would almost say be very specific about the plan. So maybe if you're setting in stone, you're only going for this one, then that's fine. Even if they want to stay, we're still picking you up. Oh, look, this is the plan. Just so that they know that the plan is the plan. So eventually when they are in school full time, they're like, oh, well, maybe there's some flexibility with the plan because before I could choose if I wanted to stay or not. So I would just be cautious with that. If you put it in the plan, you can stay if you want, but I would maybe put a time limit on it as well, right? And, and just look, or, or maybe what are the steps to amend the plan? But it's only ever to work forward, never to amend the plan backwards. I hope that makes sense. Um, so then, then maybe they get to go to their favorite class. You know, if we're going to move some progression, they go to their favorite class plus whichever one's right after it or whichever one's right before it. And then the next day, maybe they stay for lunch as well, right? Right. So that's just examples. And I go through all of those and how do we individualize it and make sure that we're addressing the right things in my workshop. But we also need to make sure we've got the reentry plan. We also have to make sure we've got the behavioral plan in place, too. It's not just about the exposure. So earning rewards for their successes, that buy in is so important and making sure that if they decide to miss one day because we can't force them. So if one day they, they do miss, like I said before, we got to make sure staying home sucks. There's no yummy foods, right? You're going to save all the yummy foods um, that go with school for school, right? So we're going to get rid of that. No access to Wi-Fi, computers, devices, anything else that they love. Home has to be so boring because we don't want to reinforce that school avoidance. So we want to give as little attention to not going to school as well, you know, at any point throughout the day or before leading up to it. We're not getting into long winded lectures or conversations the more attention we're giving it the bigger deal we make it so we want to make sure we've got that right and following our timeline being very specific and i outline the very specific things that we need to think about going into that plan um so that we know exactly you know what's the progression where are we going towards but this is the plan for right now right um and we got to make sure that whatever plan we put into place the students on board on board with it you know, we got to have that that buy-in. They got to make sure they're bought into it. It's important to them. They feel the plan is manageable and that they can they can do it, right? Even though it's going to stretch out of their comfort zone. So I think that that's really important. Looking at the timetable that's manageable, the workload is manageable. That's going to be really important. And we got to make sure that they are experiencing success because if we get them into school, fantastic. But if they fall into that negative loop of failure, that's going to be problematic. So we got to make sure they're set up to be successful. And yes, there's a lot of front loading for that to happen. But but if we need to do that, we need to do that just so that we can have that success and build that momentum. That's what we were building here at first. So if we know dad is way more successful to get Susie to school, then maybe we make sure that dad's always the one taking. I've even had parents go away for the week. Well, the other parent who does have more success, right? So dad is being the effective emotion coach initially just to get her in the school building up that success she's starting to practice her own self-coaching right um and then we look at how do we now incorporate mom that'll be later on right 
So just looking, how is it? Maybe before jumping right into class, they're going to go to a quiet space or they're going to go hang with a friend or they come into class with a buddy so that they're not the only ones, right? So we got to think about all of those things that are important for that success. Um, tra tracking to their success, even though I was anxious, I still did it anyway, right? Having a phone check in with a therapist, therapist every week if they're not seeing their therapist, we got to review that success. We always have to be focusing on the success. Even if they didn't get into school and follow the plan, what were the things that were successful that they were able to do? That's so important. Um, we also need to talk about what's going to happen if they don't happen to go to school one day. Right. And, and I think that that's important. I, I am always hesitant for that piece for kids to be involved in because I don't want them to know that it's an option not to go to school. And so this might be a piece just the adults are, are putting in. So you can see, you know, do you want to be part of this? Um, or maybe even hypothetically, but this is what happens, right? Normally, I like kids knowing what the consequences are beforehand. And I think that that could be a, a conversation you have, but I just, I just don't want to put the bug in their ear that that's even an option. But if for some reason they don't, I think it's really important that all adults are very firm in their head exactly what's going to happen as well. No TV, no internet, no gaming. Home time is still school time. You still have to do work. We're going to get a tutor in or whatever that's going to look like. Boring, boring, boring. Work, work, work. As regimented as possible. Even for snacks. When is snack time? You're going to have the same stuff, same time. You can't just have, you know, the, the pantry to your disposal anytime you want. Snack time is snack time and you're going to get the boring, crappy stuff. That's the only thing that's available at the designated times of school. So that's going to be important. We want to make sure, too, that there's a strong relationship between the family and the school. For sure, parents aren't being blamed, aren't being punished. That's going to be really important. And I think it's also, you know, an important consideration to think about very few parents even believe that forcing their kids to school is the way to go. So we definitely have to make sure that parents are bought into the process and they're feeling confident that they can implement and follow through with the plan. So no, we're not taking a kicking and screaming kid, right, who's not bought into the plan. We're not forcing them that way. But we also want to make sure that the parents' heartstrings aren't being pulled too because they're accommodating and letting their kids avoid is a liability that's actually making anxiety worse and it's making it harder for everybody. You know, if they're not sure that they can, because I do see kids, right, even teenagers who get these really big behaviors and huge emotional meltdowns and it sucks the parents into the anxiety, especially when they're starting to threaten to harm themselves. You got to get support to help the parents. Maybe it's someone else taking kiddo to school. I've even had moms leave town, like I said, for a week or getting other parents to come pick up the kid, right? So now you get to go with your buddy. So we got to look at that family piece. We cannot ignore that family piece. There's a lot of work that usually needs to be done. Oftentimes therapists overlook that piece, right? And, and, and schools overlook that piece. But but the child's anxiety is usually what the 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 families are bringing in. So it would be super easy for us to just focus on the child and only work with them, you know, but if you've been listening to me, that's a huge problem, right? I have a whole episode just on the trap of seeing kids by themselves. That's a huge problem. Anxiety is a family problem. It affects the whole family. It's not just the child's anxiety. So the whole family, everybody's issues need to be addressed. We're not going to be successful if, if we don't have parents bought in and if parents aren't also managing their own anxiety, if they're not also learning emotion regulation skills. 
uh, I just did my summer skills building series and I go through pieces about managing parental stress. A whole month is just about managing our own stress, about being strong co-regulators. So be sure to go back to that summer, especially like through July, those episodes where I'm focusing on, on the parent piece, the adult piece and teachers as well. It's not just the parents, it's teachers as well. It's just easier to let them go because then I'm going to avoid, you know, a temper tantrum in the class that's going to be disruptive and throw my whole days off. So we got to we got to look at that. Um, I find that the biggest hurdle with parents is that they often get to the point of giving up trying, right? They're, they just give up trying getting their kiddo to school because they can't tolerate their kiddo's distress anymore on the one hand, or they have no idea how to be effective on the other and they just don't want to fight anymore. And kids do, do learn to up the ante. Not that they're being manipulative, but that's what their brain is built to do to protect themselves, you know, with that anxiety, especially when it comes to self-harm, right? How can parents not get sucked into that? We still need to take that very seriously, but how can we respond in helpful ways that we're not making the anxiety worse, right? Because then going to school doesn't seem like a big deal at all to them if their kiddo's threatening to hurt themselves, right? And so it's just another piece that we get sucked into. So the weekly parent only sessions are definitely needed here. Being able to map their accommodations, managing their own anxiety, especially when it's getting in the way of managing their kiddos distress effectively, understanding how the family functions, all of this is really important. So it's just about getting parents on the same page, bought in and, and having the skills as well, right? Feeling like they can support one another as well. Um, and I'm going to do a session on the marriage piece in the future. So there's going to be more ideas coming that way when we look at that, but just making sure parents are feeling successful. We just can't overlook that, right? Because kiddos are going to be way more successful coming into school if parents are, are, are there in the first place. So I think that that's really important to, for us to just think about that. There's so many different things uh, to think about. Um, just a couple of reminders, you know, ultimately kids want to do good and they do good if they can. And if they can't, then there's something real going on for them. They don't want to just stay home lying around all day. They want to get to school. But if they're having a time for whatever reason to get up and, and going and doing the things, we really need to focus on what's getting in their way. What are their strengths? What are their interests? How can we build that autonomy? How can we build their skills for success? And for the parents and teachers, they're doing their best, right? I know every single teacher and every single parent wants their kiddos to be successful and at school. And if you're an educator or another mental health professional, know that the parents want their kids in school. They want their kids to succeed. Everyone wants the kiddo to be successful. So there's no blaming, right? And I know sometimes how we approach things differ and we might clash and we might think parents are doing one thing or teachers are doing another thing that we don't agree on. So that's why building that parent-teacher relationship is so important for the success of our kiddos because we're collaborating together to figure out what's best for this student at this moment in time. So setting up regular touch points of contacts is gonna be really important. How are things going? Are skills being taught? Is that kiddo making forward movement every day, right? It's really important to monitor, monitor all of these pieces daily. We just don't want to get sucked into a holding pattern, right? Where a kid maybe is going to school but spending the day doing something easy with the secretary, never making progress, right? They need to get more and more. Um, making sure that that outside professional is, is coming in. It's a team effort. And acknowledging one another. If you're frustrated with a teacher, for example, show your appreciation for their willingness to work with your kiddo. And same thing with, you know, if you're a teacher with parents. So that's the school plan for re-entry. Um, we just got to look at 
getting them back to school, addressing any underlying concerns that are getting that really difficult. Um, so there's the educational intervention piece, but in addition to getting back into school, we got to look at the individual work and the family work that needs to be done. Right. And I think that that's really important. So I'll leave it here today. It's a lot to think about already. Uh, like I said, I, I deep dive into this very specifically with very specific reentry plans, what to say, what to do, what happens if they don't go to school, um, all of those things in my school refusal workshop. So definitely check that out. But this hopefully gives you a good baseline of things to consider, things that you're already doing or maybe things that you can tweak to get students back into school. Uh, we just want to make sure that all of those pieces. I also talk about relapse prevention prevention and, and, and how to respond in, in place because I think that that's really important um, because, you know, we want to circumvent potential relapse, which is potentially inevitable. So we just want to make sure. I mean, anxiety is going to show up again and again and again. It's a normal feeling. So we just got to make sure how are we addressing it so we're avoiding the school avoidance in the first place. And I think that that's really important. So thank you for joining me today. I'm, I'm so happy that you're listening in. Let me know if you've got any questions. Check out my workshop and I will see you next week.